good evening, everyone. It is a real joy for me to get to speak here this evening at the six o'clock service. As Stephen said, my name's Emily, and I mainly work with the undergrads, but it's been wonderful over the past few weeks just meeting so many new people coming into the city, and particularly new students. So wherever you're at this evening, a really warm welcome. And I'm very excited because this evening at the six o'clock, we are launching a new series. And this series is around what is called the so-called seven deadly sins. We're going to be looking at the seven deadly vices next to the seven virtues over the next seven weeks. And I do find it quite interesting that even though centuries and centuries ago, philosophers, very intelligent people were pondering these questions around virtues and vices and the question of how do we live a virtuous life, one that's not, mar not marked by vices, but by virtues. Yet for all of our modern advancements in science, technology, in medicine, in ethics, politics, you name it, all of those advancements, we're still coming back to this question. How do we live a virtuous life? I even met a student not that long ago who was coming along to Alpha, and she would have probably called herself an atheist. And when I told her that this was the theme that we were looking at, um, she said, that's so strange, because even this week I've been thinking about the seven deadly sins and thinking about how I can kind of counteract them in my life. She's still thinking about this question today. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, the way that we consider how to live a virtuous life is by looking at the most beautiful life that has ever been lived, the life of Jesus Christ, that through his death, and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, through his sending of the Spirit, he empowers us to live a life of virtue. So this evening, we're going to be looking at our first vice and virtue. We're going to be looking at how kindness is greater than envy. Now, if any of you are here who have uh, siblings that are close in age to you, or perhaps your parent with children who are similar in age, you might have ever had the experience of birthdays being a little bit traumatic or maybe not. Um, one of our favorite home videos as a family, which I haven't been allowed to show you this evening, but I have had permission to tell you the story, um, was one of my sisters, I have two younger sisters, one of her birthdays. Now, it was my youngest sister's um, birthday. She was about four, and the middle sister was six. And every present that my youngest sister would open would be exactly what my other sister had always wanted in her entire life. So she opens up the first present, her art set, and not knowing actually, I only found this out afterwards, I'm speaking to them about it, that she was actually turning to my other sister being like, look what I got. Um, but my other sister was getting more and more distressed by what was going on, and it went on and on as she was opening up a new doll, and my sister's like quivering in the corner, until eventually my sister opened up the present that the other sister had wanted for so long. It was one of those um, doodle bears, you know, if you remember them, you could draw on them, put them in the washing machine. Anyway, it was what my other friend had always wanted, my other sister had always wanted. And the scene ends with my middle sister, I kid you not, turning to the camera, her hand above her head in such a melodramatic way, leaning back and saying, my life has been destroyed. <laughs> now, fair play to my sister, she's grown out of this kind of jealousy over presence, and she's genuinely one of the kindest people I know now. But I think she was onto something at a very young age, that envy truly is a very destructive force it can actually really destroy our lives. Envy at its core is discontentment over someone else's blessings. It does nothing but destroy. 
In the book of Proverbs of Wisdom in the Old Testament, we read, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's a vice that we don't really like to talk about. Jealousy is the green-eyed monster. It brings no pleasure whatsoever. The dictionary defines envy as a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another, joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. And so it's a little heavy, but tonight as we consider this, we'll consider why kindness is actually so much greater than envy, why kindness triumphs over envy. But we, before we consider that virtue, let's just dig in a little bit to this vice, to what the root of it truly is, the evil of envy. I think if we look around the world, the world around us today, there's actually an epidemic of envy, and it comes in so many subtle ways. It's actually behind so much of advertising. We're bombarded on our phones by just daily like messaging of algorithms of the things that we exactly need more of, that we're being told we, we need to attain. Of course, it's not bad to admire people, to have goals. That's, that's a beautiful thing. But when it turns to envy, a feeling of resentment, a feeling of not having enough, that's when it starts to eat you up inside. There is zero positive output of envy. The American president, Theodore Roosevelt, said this. He said, comparison is the thief of all joy. But it's not just advertisement and social media that can lead to envy. It can truly creep into so many areas of our daily lives. At work, there's a colleague who just keeps getting promoted above of you, even when you're just putting in the same amount of work. Why is that other person's business doing so much better than yours? In my studies, why do they always seem to get a better grade than me? Relationships, why have I been single for this long? How can I find that perfect partner? In my marriage, why does that other people's marriages seem to be perfect? Friendships, if only I was as popular as that person, or as funny as them. Or my house, was only if I had a kitchen like theirs, you think yours is fine until you go to someone else's and see all the things they have that you don't have. Parenting, if only my kids were a bit more like their kids. My image, if only I looked more like them. The list goes on and on. It's almost like insert your envy here. Of course, I've said admiration is a beautiful thing. But when we're left with a feeling of discontentment, like what we have isn't enough, it becomes insatiable. It starts to eat you up inside. But the thing is, the Bible has such a beautiful way of diagnosing the true conditions of our hearts. And the sin of envy can be traced all the way back to the beginning of, of the book of Genesis, when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. It said right there, thou shalt not covet. The command directly relates to envy, that desire for other people's things, for other things that we want to attain. It's leaving us feeling empty and dissatisfied. And ultimately, if we want to counter this vice, if we want to be free from envy, we need a solution that goes deeper. And Jesus, in our passage this evening, he amazingly diagnoses the problem. Just to set the scene, he's having a conversation with religious leaders of the day. And he's revealing to them the true root of the vices that we face, the sin that entangles us. Ultimately, no matter how hard we try to live a virtuous life, it will only be ever masking the problem if we try and do it in our own strength. It's a bit like if you have a car that breaks down. If you take it to a garage, 
the engine isn't working, and you go back to collect it. And they say to you, we've sorted the problem, we've given you a new paint job. You get in it to try and drive away, but the engine is still broken. They've not looked at what's really going on inside. And this is why Jesus delivers these quite deep things to us. He's saying in um, verse 22, it's actually from within a person's heart that evil comes out. And then he goes on to list many of the vices that we'll look at, envy being one of them, saying that ultimately envy is a heart problem. It comes from within. And the crazy thing is, no matter how much we try and make ourselves clean, we try and force ourselves to be happy or to just kind of push stuff down, it's never going to work. But God beautifully sees every sin in us. He sees the condition of our hearts. Nothing is hidden from him. But his desire is to come into the deep places of our hearts, to uproot the envy. This is why kindness is so much greater than envy, because if envy destroys our lives, Jesus' kindness brings life. It not only brings life to us, but it transforms our lives. This is why the message of what Jesus came to bring is such good news. I've said all about throughout the scriptures, we can see examples of God's kindness, but we can also see examples of envy and the consequences of that. But the same can be said of kindness. The loving kindness is on display throughout all of the Bible. And if we want to know exactly what that virtuous life looks like, we look to Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He shows us exactly what the Father is like towards us. And if you're here tonight and kindness isn't exactly a quality that you'd associate with God, let me say this to you tonight, that he is kind, that he is compassionate, that he has moved towards you in love. And when you truly grasp that, it changes everything. If envy is the root of so much of this dissatisfaction of the destruction of our lives, then here it is tonight, the kindness of Jesus is the only thing that can truly bring life. And throughout the life and teachings of Jesus, we see the beautiful way that he extends his kindness to people, how he stops for people on the edges of society, how he heals those who are sick, how he shows mercy to criminals. And so often envy comes from a place of forgetting just how kind Jesus has been to us. And in the story in Mark's gospel that follows on from Jesus explaining that it's out of our heart that this stuff comes out, we have this really interesting encounter between Jesus and a Syrian woman, a woman who the religious leaders of the day would have considered unclean, not worthy to come near Jesus. She was outside the traditions of their faith. Now, I'm not going to lie, when I've read this passage in the past, I've been a bit confused about what's going on. I've kind of just skimmed over it and thought, I'll come back to that later. I'm not quite sure what this is all about. What does this kind of sick woman who's coming to Jesus have to do with a dog, children, and bread? But just stay with me for a moment, because there's something deep and beautiful and profound that Jesus is speaking to us. You see, Jesus has come to this region that we read about to try and get away from all that was going on around him. At this point, so many people are being drawn to him to see his miracles, to hear his teaching. He's trying to lay low. But this woman, who wasn't a Jew, a Gentile, she hears that he's in town, and she's a desperate mother who wants healing for her sick daughter. She finds a way to come to Jesus. And as soon as she comes near him, she throws herself at his feet. And that's where we have Jesus' response to her, which can almost seem a little bit jarring. Like, what is he saying to her? Saying that first, let the children come and eat all they want. 
for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But in actual fact, we see his kindness. Because remember, he's just been rebuking the religious leaders, telling them off for, for the ways they're trying to exclude people from coming to him. And if you've been put off by God because of what you've encountered with the way people have said one thing and lived another, well, this is exactly what Jesus came to destroy. He came to tell off those who were being hypocrites. And how I read Jesus' statement to this woman is that he's actually offering to draw out the faith that is in her. He's saying it to make a point. He's saying, sure, this is what you've heard, that you, a Gentile, are considered to be like a stray dog, someone who's not allowed to come near to me. But actually, she sees in him what he's able to offer her. She's willing to even accept the crumbs that might fall off the table. And it's in her response that Jesus sees her faith and he's moved in kindness and compassion towards her, that she would even take the crumbs from the table. Her faith reaches out towards him. You know, Jesus didn't have to stop in that moment. He didn't have to let himself be interrupted. But we see all throughout the Gospels that, to be honest, most of the time that he did things was when he allowed himself to be interrupted. I often think journeys with Jesus would have taken so long. He's always stopping. Yet he allows this woman to come to him. He doesn't push her away. He's moved by her faith. He's moved by her compassion for her daughter. And in that moment, he responds, you have answered correctly. And he heals her daughter like that. His kindness brings life to anyone who will receive it with faith. You know, this woman could have easily taken offense, been envious of the fact that she wasn't allowed to come near to Jesus. But something happens when she sees who he really is. Do you have any idea of how great the Lord's kindness is towards you? Envy can creep in in so many ways and try and rob us of that reality. But the only man who ever lived the most perfect, virtuous life, he died so that he could deal with the root of that envy, with the problem of our hearts. He died so that we could be set free. He died so that we could receive new life, so that we could be given new hearts. Even if you were the only person that ever lived, Jesus would have still died for you. You see, this mother, this desperate woman who didn't belong in the kind of central religious circle, she understood the power of Jesus' kindness, that it wasn't based on anything that she deserved, but it was based on the righteousness and the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. And it's only his kindness that can truly set us free. And for centuries, people even in this building have come in and have encountered that radical kindness of Jesus. I'm so grateful for the friend when I was at uni, when I wasn't living a Christian life, when I felt far from God, who extended Jesus' kindness towards me, who invited me to come along to church. Even when this was the last place I would have ever imagined myself coming. You know, if she hadn't taken that step to invite me to come along, then I wouldn't be able to be here today. I wouldn't be able to have encountered the loving kindness of Jesus. One of my main barriers to coming to church was thinking that someone like me didn't belong here in this place, that the life I living didn't match up with what I thought it was to be a Christian. But actually when I came in, when I encountered the love of Jesus towards me, when I was met by his love and his forgiveness, I realized that actually it was enough to just be let in through the door, that nothing else really mattered. That is the power of his kindness towards us. But Jesus' kindness not only brings life, where envy destroys it, it also transforms lives. So thirdly, the way that kindness transforms us. 
I was actually reminded this week of the way in which one of my best friends was led to Jesus. It was actually through a family friend when she was little who prayed with her. And this man, he was a full-time preacher, but it wasn't the life he had always lived. He was actually an ex-Aston Villa footballer in the 80s who owned a pub. And this pub was known as being a pretty dark place. Her dad was a policeman and he'd often get called out to fights at this pub. He was someone who you might say had a pretty unclean heart in the way he was living. In fact, even on the walls, apparently there was women's knickers. It was a really dark pub. But this man encountered the love of Jesus. He heard the good news of his love towards him. He received that forgiveness. And the amazing thing that amazes me is that this change and this transformation, it radically set him free in the fact that the next day after he'd met with Jesus, he took down all of the stuff that was in the pub and he put Bibles out along the bar and he started to preach to people as they came in. Apparently the pub didn't stay open for much longer after that. But, but it didn't matter because he knew that he had met Jesus and that he wanted to live his life fully for him. You see, Jesus' kindness can turn even the greatest of sinners into saints. And it's a radical example. But there's so many stories of Jesus' kindness at work in our community today. Whether you've known Jesus your whole life, or whether you've just recently come to know him, anything you give up for him is because he's so worthy. And he longs to continue to transform us, to bring more of that kindness as a work of grace in our lives. In fact, he longs to show the world his kindness through us. Don't let your heart become hardened by the vice of envy. Don't let envy rob you from the life that Jesus has promised you. Because we as Christians certainly aren't exempt from envy. We still struggle with it just as much as everyone else. But I really believe God wants to renew and restore this fruit of the Spirit within us and to set us free from the places where envy has been creeping in and robbing us of Jesus and his kindness towards us. You know, these past couple years have been really tough. I'm sure many of us will have felt like whole chunks of our lives have sort of been put on pause or things just haven't happened the way we might have hoped they would. But if it's out of our hearts that envy defiles us, then actually it's what Jesus wants to pour into our hearts that can set us free, that can give us life and life in all of its fullness. The key antidote to envy is to receive more of the kindness of Jesus into our hearts by spending time with him, by allowing him into the deeper places. And envy can feel like quite an ugly thing to expose, but Jesus is full of kindness and compassion. That's why things like the reset are so important, finding practical ways and just moments in our life that we can spend daily with Jesus, be reminded of his kindness towards us. Because nothing is gonna surprise him. Nothing is gonna put him, turn him away from you. It might feel exposed or messy, but that is the beautiful power of his kindness, the way it moves towards us. If the band would like to come up. The thing is, ultimately, it's the kindness of Jesus that leads us to repentance. And repentance, it's an old-fashioned word, but actually it's a beautiful thing. Repentance just means to change. It means to turn around. And if you've never experienced that loving kindness of Jesus, let me encourage you and invite you to open your heart to him this evening because he is moving towards you. But the invitation is for all of us tonight to repent, to allow Jesus into the places of our heart where envy might have crept in. Because Jesus loves you to the very depths of your soul. 
There's nothing that is too hard for him to uproot and expose and to bring life and healing to. The power of the cross can truly set you free this evening. And I invite you to stand.